0: They have planned that are now leading us into a one-world communist government.
1: Welcome, useless eaters, to the Odd Man Out podcast, where we talk about hidden history, depolitical policy, occult deconstruction, economics, religion, and philosophy. I'm your rabbit hole aficionado, the Odd Man. Welcome. The affirmative task
0: we have now is, uh, is to actually um, uh, create uh, uh, a new world order public policy could itself become the captain of a scientific, technological elite.
2: And when that first cocaine was smuggled in on a ship, it may as well have been a deadly bacteria so much as it hurt the body, the soul of our country. But take my word for it, this scourge will stop.
1: Hey guys, back for another episode of The Oddcast. Thank you for joining me. I'm just going to get right to it this week, and I'm going to tell you that we're getting into astrotheology once again. we got a lot more to talk about on this subject, and I hope that you have enjoyed the other two episodes. If you have, then I know you will enjoy this one. If you didn't enjoy it, then you won't like it. So don't even try and listen. Turn it off right now. But I just want to say that I don't think I am some kind of expert on anything. I don't think that I've got all the answers, so don't mistake me for one of those type of people. What I will say is that when I see people who are outright lying or telling untruths, and I have the ability to point that out, then that's what I'm going to do, and that's what I enjoy doing. So that's all this is. You know, do your own thing And as I've said before in the other episodes, you don't have to be a Christian to want to know the truth. And obviously, most of us would want to know if we're being lied to. There are charlatans and fakes and uh, controlled opposition in every movement, in every crowd, in every group. And the conspiracy crowd, the alternate media crowd, the uh, truther community, whatever you want to call us, it's no different. And also, I would say this too. You know, people like us in our little group, in our little community that talk about things that I talk about and others talk about, well, we're susceptible to the cult of personality as well. So whether it's, you know, Jordan Maxwell, David Ike, uh, you could name a whole bunch of different people. We do kind of lionize these guys and forget that they are humans as well, and we forget about they are flaws and we forget about the fact that they possibly could be controlled opposition or, you know, they could be theosophists or having ulterior motives for doing what they do. And I'm not saying that David Icke is like that. I don't know enough about him to, to, to make an honest judgment, but I just know that he is a big name and there are other big names in the community. So we see what happened with uh, alex jones for instance and the way he used to be and now it sort of seems like well he might have been controlled opposition or maybe he just uh, sold his soul maybe he sold out at some point so i think we have to keep these things in mind and that's all i'm doing is all i'm doing is saying hey look we need to think a little bit deeper about these things you know it's so easy when you're in this you know community to jump at every conspiracy because it's fun and we enjoy that and that's what probably drew us into looking into these different researchers and authors and podcasters and whatnot. But, you know, I've been doing this now long enough that I'm realizing that some of the conspiracies and the things that I jumped on, I jumped on the conspiracy bandwagon. Well, there was more to those stories, some of those stories, and they weren't clean cut cases of conspiracy. There may have been elements of conspiracy. So, you know, I just try to do a, a better job now of going through things with a fine-tooth comb, filtering out the BS, and seeing what I think and what I believe is true, and also seeing what is provable or uh, looks like it's the most likely scenario. So that's all I've intended to do with these astrotheology episodes. And they're not for everyone. I totally understand. We all have different beliefs and whatnot, but I I just want to present other evidence, other news, other information that people can look to and compare with these different researchers and and maybe form their own thoughts. Because that's what I do. I try not to put any of these guys up on a pedestal, any of these authors. I mean, there are some that I really look up to, but I know that they're not infallible. I know that they can be wrong on things. And so I know they can let their prejudices get in the way, just like I can let my prejudices get in the way and my biases and stuff like that. So let's just go ahead and jump right into this episode. I wanted to go over something that one of the researchers that I played on the last show, I can't remember if it was Elliot Nash or one of the others, I know it wasn't Chris White, but he talked about this Dr. Swerdlow in regards to Acharya S. aka DM Murdoch, who helped write the uh, Zeitgeist movie, the first one anyway. And so I wanted to replay that, but not with him talking. I'm just going to read the article, or actually, I won't read the whole thing, but I'm reading the shorter version of the article, so I just wanted to go over it because I thought it was important information. So we'll do that. We'll check out some more of Albert McElhenney's quotes and uh, his samples. And I know that he's got his voice is not uh, a great voice to play over <laughs> for a podcast, maybe. Uh, and the quality is not the finest, but it's what we got. So you got to kind of go with what you got, right? when you can't do anything about it. Uh, But uh, I would just ask people, too, if they're interested in these episodes, these three now episodes of Astro Theology, uh, go look at my extensive, extensive show notes. In the show notes area, there are tons of links and information, and it will help you. If you want to do your own research into it, it will help you to do that as well. So I wanted to uh, give people links and sources so if they do want to talk about this with other people they'll have some backup and they'll know where some of these things come from and so it's a it's a good it's a good resource for you guys if you want to take advantage of it let's go ahead and listen to this part where i go over the information that this dr swerdlow talks about because i think that it is important to the subject. Dr. Noel Swerdlow is a professor of astronomy and astrophysics at the University of Chicago. He has specialized in the study of the practice of astronomy in antiquity through the 17th century. In this article, they emailed Dr. Swerdlow on this matter, and here's what he had to say about D.M. Murdoch, or Acharya S.'s view, and she's the writer of Zeitgeist, or one of the main writers. In antiquity... Constellations were just a group of stars, and there were no borders separating the region of one from the region of another. In astrology, for computational purposes, the zodiacal signs were taken as 12 arcs of 30 degrees measured from the vernal equinox. Because of the slow westward motion of the equinoxes and solstices, what we call the precession of the equinoxes, these did not correspond to the constellations with the same names. But... Within which group of stars the vernal equinox was located was of no astrological significance at all. Now here's the key thing to remember. The modern ideas about the age of Pisces or the age of Aquarius are based upon the location of the vernal equinox in the regions of the stars of those constellations. But the regions, the borders between those constellations, are completely modern they are a modern convention of the international astronomical union for the purposes of mapping and never had any astrological significance i hope this is helpful although in turn what this woman is claiming is so wacky that it's hardly worth answering so when this woman says that the christian fish was a symbol of the coming age of pisces she is saying something that no one would have thought of in antiquity because in which constellation of the fixed stars the vernal equinox was located, was of no significance and is entirely an idea of modern and, I believe, 20th century astrology. In other words, the ancient Christ conspirators could not have recognized the twelve celestial sections in order to incorporate them into a Christian myth and announce the ushering in of the Age of Pisces, as Murdoch claims, because the division into the celestial sections did not occur until a meeting of the International Astronomical Union in the 20th century. Therefore, her claim is without any merit. It goes on to say, Miss Murdoch also holds that we see the twelve figures in the Bible and that these are the representation of the twelve zodiacal signs. She writes, In reality, it is no accident that there are twelve patriarchs, twelve tribes of Israel, and twelve disciples. 12 being the number of the astrological signs. The problems with her thesis were the 12 tribes of Israel representative of the 12 signs of the Zodiac. As she claims, she asserts that Simon and Levi are Gemini, Judah is Leo, and the list goes on. She also claims that when Jacob set up the 12 stones representing the 12 tribes, that they were really representing the 12 signs of the Zodiac. But this is impossible. Genesis was written approximately 1000 BC and contains the story of the 12 tribes, which would have occurred even earlier. The division into the 12 zodiacal signs did not occur until the Babylonians made the divisions in the 5th century BC. Therefore, reading astrology into the 12 tribes is anachronistic. She also claims that the Hebrews were moon worshippers, since many of their feasts and holidays revolved around the movements and phases of the moon. Were the Hebrews moon worshippers? This seems unlikely for a couple reasons. Just because the Jews operated under a lunar calendar does not mean that they were moon worshippers. When you look at the three biblical references she provides to support her claim that moon worship is found repeatedly in the Old Testament, it is readily seen that these have been taken out of context. Let us look briefly at these. The verses before and after have also been included in order to provide you with their context. From the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? If I won't read the others. There's several... And it's got some good explanations and it shows that she really takes those out of context so i'll put that in my show notes as well and you guys can look into it yourselves if you want to it's really plain likewise the 12 constellations
2: represented places of travel for god's son, and were identified by names usually representing elements of nature that happened during that period of time for example aquarius the water bearer who brings the spring rains The claim that some of the
3: constellations of the zodiac corresponded to events of the year employs a pair of faulty ideas. The first is that somehow the ancient people had a choice of which constellations would show up at what time of the year to correspond nicely to some seasonal theme. The usual constellations would show up in the sky at the usual times, no matter what would have been more convenient for a seasonal reminder. The second faulty idea is that such themes were common to all relevant cultures. For example, a claim that appears in Zeitgeist associates Virgo with the grain harvest. While this might certainly be the case in Western Europe and America, the grain harvest for the ancient Near East, which is after all the area of the world that is under discussion, occurred in the spring not the fall. Recall, for example, the Old Testament grain harvest begins with a ripening of barley around Passover and ends with Shavuot, which Christians know as Pentecost, where, when the wheat is harvested. Similarly, the winter would not have been associated with death in the ancient Near East, but rather the summer, as nothing could grow in the scorching heat. The winter was not nearly as severe as it is in the Further north, as after all, there is a reason why there are few blizzards in Tel Aviv. Thus, the seasonal associations the film makes fails in the very place of Jesus' birth.
1: So again, if you go and you look into so many of these different claims these astrotheologists make, they are basing everything that they say, for the most part, on what the mystery schools teach on what Freemasonry and different occult belief systems teach. But that should be evident because we looked into so many of these sources that Acharya S. and uh, Peter Jackson refer to in Zeitgeist when they're talking about the Christianity part. They are going to these sources who almost all were either Druids, Freemasons, Spiritualists, or in some type of occult group. So, of course, they are going to reference their lore and their mythology. But what is weird is I don't think they even know what the real scriptures say. I doubt they've ever even read them to any extent to know what they actually teach. And they made documentaries about this. So it's kind of embarrassing to think of how they've put this stuff out there without really thinking about it. Or I could be wrong, and maybe they do know exactly what scriptures actually say. Maybe they are aware of these different things, and they just know that the people who you know, are watching would probably never look into it. And, you know, that's just one of those things that I think people need to look into a little bit deeper. Because, like I said, with other parts of Zeitgeist, they're not always wrong with the parts about government and different things like that. But these things are multi layered, like every issue is multi layered. And one of the things that you know I've learned from being in this conspiracy community for so long is that a lot of these guys want to believe in conspiracies. I mean, they want to believe in Bigfoot, they want to believe in aliens, they want the aliens to penetrate them. They are hoping that every conspiracy is the truth. And it's fun for them. It's sports for them. It's entertainment for them. So it's not as if they're exactly seeking the truth. They are kind of fans of this whole thing, and they just kind of get excited about different things like this. And so they may not put a lot of time into actually looking into these things to see if they're factual because they really want to believe them. And we're all guilty of different things like this. Myself included, but as I've said all along, I just want you to realize that there's more to the story. You need to look deeper and don't just take what I say or anyone else says for 100% fact. Look into it yourself and consult multiple sources when you're looking into it.
2: Now, of the many astrological, astronomical metaphors in the Bible, one of the most important has to do with the ages throughout the scriptures there are numerous references to the age in order to understand this we need to be familiar with a phenomenon known as the procession of the equinoxes the ancient egyptians along with cultures long before them recognized that approximately every 2150 years the sunrise on the morning of the spring equinox would occur in a different sign of the zodiac
3: reality The ancient Egyptians show no record of ever having been aware of the procession of the equinoxes. In fact, there is no evidence anyone was aware of it until it was discovered by Hipparchus in the 2nd century BC. There is no evidence that anyone knew it prior to that time. Please note that a century and a half before Jesus is hardly enough time to establish a universal pattern that would be emulated by Christianity.
1: I wanted to mention quickly that I've been looking into ancient Egyptian history, ancient Greek history, reading about mystery cults. I've got several really good books, and I realize more and more that a lot of these mystery school authors that the Zeitgeist got a lot of their references from, did not know a lot about what they claimed to know. And of course, since a lot of these people like kersey Graves and Blavatsky and even Manly P. Hall, but especially those older writers, since they wrote their books, a lot more has been discovered. If we're talking archaeology-wise or just historically the different things that they've found out and been able to decode. So we know quite a lot more than they did. And it's just amazing how so much of the stuff that we've heard has been BS or the truth has been stretched very much so. But one thing I'll say, if there really is such a thing as cultural appropriation, then surely Freemasons and the Mystery School's the modern mystery schools have definitely stolen a lot of the legacies and history and the myths and legends from these vast civilizations and religions, cultures, and put them all together. And basically they don't have to follow any rules, so they can just mix them together and say whatever they want to say. But slowly the truth is coming to light, at least in my mind, But if anybody wants to hit me up, I'll be glad to tell them the books I'm reading and uh, they can look into it themselves.
2: This is Horus. He is the sun god of Egypt of around 3000 BC. He is the sun anthropomorphized and his life is a series of allegorical myths involving the sun's movement in the sky.
3: The film makes an implicit assumption that the Horus mythology from 3000 BC reflects the sun's movement through the zodiac. However, the zodiac was not yet even developed, and would not be for more than 2,000 years. The Egyptians, while certainly interested in the night sky, did not use the zodiac, but rather had their own system, which we call decans, which used the heliacal rising of stars every 10 days. After the conquests of Egypt and just about everywhere else in the region of the world by Alexander the Great, the pharaohs of Egypt were descended from his general Ptolemy. The Greeks then ruled Egypt, and they had adopted the Babylonian Zodiac and developed it further. At this point in Egypt, it was blended with the Egyptian system of Deccans to lay the foundation for Western astrology. It is not until this point that we see the appearance of Zodiacs in Egypt. Thus, the idea that the Zodiac had any connection to the mythology of Horus in 3000 BC is completely absurd.
1: I thought I would add just a little bit more in there about Horus. Now, Horus, the name, is actually the Latin version. The Egyptian version was Haru. H e r u says here, Egyptian Horus was also known as the patron saint of the existing pharaoh. In fact, the pharaoh was often referred to as the living Horus. Kings would eventually take the name of Horus as one of their own. At the same time, the pharaohs were followers of Re, and so Horus became associated with the sun as well. Perhaps the most well-known version of Horus' mythology involves the birth of Horus following the death of his father. In this tale, Horus' parents are Osiris and Isis. Osiris was slain by his adversary and brother, Seth, prior to the birth of Horus. Later, he was believed to have avenged the death of his father. The war that ensued as a result of Horus' attempts to avenge his father lasted for 80 years with mutual casualties occurring between the two Egyptian gods. In one version, Seth even took an eye from Horus. It is believed that this ancient incident led to Horus's association with his one-eye symbol. Also in the mythology, before Horus lost the one eye, he was imagined as a celestial falcon, whose right eye was the sun and left eye was the moon. One thing you have to remember also is the king, the pharaoh, who took on the name Horus was the only one who was allowed to have this ancient wisdom and knowledge and could practice the magic and go through the initiation and go through the different types of cultish practices that they had. So the everyday person or even the people who worked under the king often were not allowed to know this wisdom and know these different secrets. So I just wanted to mention, break up the monotony here, that another claim by one of these astrotheology guys who's making the rounds to all the podcasts, you know, they don't care if the guy's making it up or not. He says the Bible book of Job is just astrotheology, the whole thing. And most people know that Job is considered to be possibly the oldest book of the Bible. So let's kind of take a look at what he's talking about here. So we take a look at verse 31. He says, Canst thou bind the sweet influences of Pleiades, or loose the bands of Orion? And I suggest you read this whole thing in context. 32. Canst thou bring forth the Maseroth in his season, or canst thou guide Octorus with his sons? So I looked into Maseroth, because I was not familiar with that name. And according to a former certified astrologer and chairperson of the Board of Astrology Examiners, she's got a a great Facebook page called Christian Answers for the New Age. But she breaks down a lot of this stuff because she used to teach it. And she's got her background and all that. And she references several writers who kind of put forth this claim that uh, it was all about astrotheology and astrology, okay? So she says here, unfortunately, the idea has been propagated by recent preachers like Chuck Missler and teachers like James D. Kennedy. She says, the Maseroth word appears only once in Scripture and whether it is related to a word in 2 Kings 23.5 is not known. Can thou bring forth Maseroth in his season? The context implies that Mazaroth is a constellation on par with Pleiades, Orion, and the bear. This makes it impossible to accept the meaning so generally assigned of the 12 signs of the zodiac. Again, the plural form is fatal to the conjecture that Mazaroth designates a single star or planet as Jupiter, Venus, or Sirius. The word is derived probably from the root Zahar, Z-A-H-A-R, meaning to shine or to be bright, and should designate some especially brilliant cluster of stars. Whether it is to be regarded as a variant of Mazaloth, 2 Kings 23:5) is uncertain. All we know is that Mazaloth refers to a group of stars. There is nothing to indicate it refers to the Zodiac. And, of course, the names we know in the Zodiac, this is important, such as Virgo, Leo, Gemini, and Pisces, did not even exist when Job was written, because those words are Latin names for gods derived from the Greek gods. To say in any way that the astrological signs go hand-in-hand with the gospel story in Job is null and void by the fact that those names did not even exist before Roman times. Astrological charts were first drawn up by the Greeks in late Greece. The word horoscope comes from the Greek word for watcher of the hour. Prior to that, astrology was used for rulers and kings based on positions of certain planets, but there is no record of charts as we know of them today. Astrology is not the same everywhere. Chinese astrology and Native American astrology bear little or no resemblance to Western astrology. Astrology in India is moon-based instead of sun-based, and uses a different system than the one in the West. Astrology has also changed drastically over time. Claims made that Satan twisted the original use and meaning of the stars or planets, there is no evidence for this, especially not in Scripture. There is no biblical astrology. No matter how you slice it or dice it, reading a hidden meaning in the stars or in the planets or any part of creation is divination, forbidden by the Scripture. And she's got pictures in there and a bunch of links as well. And there's one that says, does the Bible use the words Orion and Pleiades in that same text that we were talking about? She says, many mistakenly believe the Bible in Job 9.9 originally uses Orion and Pleiades in the Hebrew text because that is what we see in the translations. Supporters of the false gospel and the stars are especially keen on pointing this out. Job 9, nine. he is the maker of the bear and Orion, the Pleiades and the constellations of the south. We should look at the lexicons and parallel translations to see the Hebrew terms. In actuality, other words are used. Not only that, but to this day, translators are not positive it was these constellations being referred to, though some speculate that it was. So she goes on and puts a lot of detail in there, and it's almost too much for a podcast. It's not real long, but there's some hard to pronounce words and some uh, Hebrew words in there and stuff like that. So I suggest you check that out, and I'll put the link in my show notes. I think it's a good time to mention that I did a show with Michael Wan that'll be coming up soon, and he mentioned there towards the end, and you know he's into astrotheology and whatnot. But uh, he approaches it much differently than a Jordan Maxwell or a Micah, whatever his name is. So he was saying, you know, look, I make my money off astrology, but it's not scientific. And things have changed over time as far as the planets and the alignments. So it's not dead on accurate. So you can learn a lot about yourself through astrology, he said but it's not real. And I believe those were his exact words, but I don't want to put words in his mouth, so I want you to listen to that podcast and just see what he says about that. So there's another claim that in Colossians 4.11, it refers to Jesus. It says, and Jesus, which is called justice. And so one of these guys is saying that that's where we get the scales of Libra, that that was a direct reference to the sign of Libra. And that's, I mean, I think it's silly, but actually, if you do the research, Jesus's brother, James, was called the just one. And so it was only that one time that Jesus was referred to as justice. But that's kind of like saying this man is a man of justice, this man is a man of equality, this man is a man of righteousness. So I think that's reading way too much into it. But a lot of this stuff that these astrotheologists and these types of occultists say is conspiracy candy. They put it out there because they know their audience will eat it up. And that's what my friend Hesher from Boiler Room calls a lot of this stuff, not necessarily referring to the Bible and astrotheology, but a lot of this stuff that's put out in the mainstream is conspiracy candy. So the people who are receiving this information will eat it up and become obsessed with it. They'll go for it immediately because they want to believe it so bad. Because there's a lot of people out there they are into this whole conspiracy thing because they just lack like the thrill of conspiracies. But they don't really like to research things that deeply. They'll take just a little bit of symbolism here or there, just a little bit of news here or there, and they'll just you know go in head first and, and not really think about these things too much. But again, back to uh, this researcher guy says that uh, Deuteronomy 32 verses 13, 14, and 15, he kind of jumbles some verses together and doesn't really specify everything in sequence, and he doesn't take it in context either. And that's what a lot of these guys do, especially like the Jordan Maxwell types. They don't read anything in context, and you can make anyone believe anything if you just grab a verse here or there and then add stuff to it. But uh, it starts off, it says, and, and I'll go ahead and tell you what's going on here so you know you have some context, but I urge you to go and read what's going on before and after if you're interested in this kind of stuff. So what it is, God is telling his people, I provided for you. I gave you all this food and all these necessities. And what did you do? You got fat and lazy and you turned your back on me and you were not thankful. So what he says here is Deuteronomy 32:13. He made him ride high on the high places of the earth that he might eat the increase of the fields. And he made him suck the honey out of the rock and the oil out of the flinty rock butter of cows and milk of sheep with fat of lambs and rams of the breed of Bashan and goats with the fat of kidneys of wheat. And you did drink the pure blood of the grape. But Jeshurun waxed fat and kicked. You are wax and fat. You are grown thick. You are covered with fatness. Then he forsook God, which made him and lightly esteemed the rock of his salvation. So Jeshurun is a poetic name for Israel. And so he's just telling Israel, the Israelites, that you guys turned your back on me. I gave you everything, and look what you did. You turned your back on me. So he's saying there, this guy, that when it says the butter of cows and the milk of sheep, that he's referring to the Milky Way galaxy. And uh, of course, he mentions goats and rams and sheep in there, and he's saying that those are references to the Zodiac. Now, if you start looking into every time it references a goat, a sheep, a ram, a lion, a lion, these different animals, then it would be all through the Bible and would be all kinds of other books would have to be references to the Zodiac. But for some reason, these guys just pick and choose this verse here and this verse there, take it out of context. They don't tell you what the verse is really about. And they just say that's a direct reference to the Zodiac. But the part in uh, 3213 where it says, and he made him to suck honey out of the rock. Now I've heard that said that there were certain types of bees who would build their nests inside rocks, and therefore you would have the beehives inside the rocks so you get the honey out of the rocks. And the uh, researcher guy, he says that that is a reference to the beehive cluster in cancer. And he says that's why occult groups use bees and beehive symbolism. But, you know, I've studied Freemasonry enough to know for sure that the beehive symbols are really just a sign of bringing groups together. And this is right from the Masonic Dictionary. It says, though as an emblem of the form of the work called industry, the beehive symbolizes only one bee in particular. It at the same time represents the system of forms of work, as it were, an ensemble of them. And uh, you go on to uh, Albert Mackey says, The bee was among the Egyptians the symbol of an obedient people, because, says Horopalo, of all insects, the bee alone had a king. Hence, looking at the regulated labor of these insects when congregated in their hive, it's not surprising that a beehive should have been deemed an appropriate emblem of a systematized industry. Freemasonry has therefore adopted the beehive as a symbol of industry. And that's Albert Mackey again. As far as oil from the flinty rock, well, that one's easy. Olive trees are known for growing in rocky areas. And of course, you get olive oil from olive trees. And we could go much deeper. We could look at every time the Bible uses the reference to water or the different animals, and different things like that, but we're not going to, bore you to death with that. You can look into it yourselves. But uh, another thing I thought was interesting, and this is going around, and I believed it at one time, but uh, there was a claim by this guy that the artwork of the white Jesus, you know, the kind of popular artwork that you see from time to time, was just based on Caesar Borgia, the uh, from the famous Borgia family. Well, A French novelist named Alexandre Dumas is credited with starting that rumor, but it's easily refuted. Artists like Giotto di Bondoni and Duccio di Buangensa were painting pictures depicting Christ as fair-skinned Anglo-Americans as early as 1305. Caesar Borgia wasn't even born until 1475, and I've put an article in my show notes about this under Visual Arts. So check that out, and you can read it for yourselves and even see pictures of those earlier paintings way before Caesar Borgia was even born. Another quick thing before I move on, there was something said about when the Israelites formed the Golden Calf to worship in the desert. And how would these Israelites melt down a couple tons of gold to build a calf. And how would they do that? Well, no one said it was a huge symbol. No one said it was a huge idol. But, of course, calves appear dozens of times in the Bible because they're one of the main animals of that day. But how the Israelites got the gold was they took the jewelry and the dishes and things that they had acquired in Egypt Egypt was a land known for having tons and tons of gold. Uh, often, Egyptian pharaohs, to keep from going to war, if they didn't want to go to war with the neighboring nation, would send them large amounts of gold as kind of uh, this gift to keep them at bay. But anyway, the Israelites acquired quite a bit of gold while in Egypt, and that's what they melted the calf down with, with heat. And they knew how to smelt back in the day. I mean, they, there were certain things that they didn't know how to do, even way back when. And I'll also go ahead and mention, as far as water and the water pitcher of Aquarius, the Bible mentions water 722 times. Lions are mentioned at least 100 times. At least 50 woman verses about virgins. Fish are mentioned endless times. That was one of their main foods. So, again, you've got to just take everything in sequence and in context to understand what you are reading and seeing. Because you've got to remember, these occultists have had centuries to keep on adding on and on to their lore. I mean, they can say anything means anything. They can build and build and build, which they have. And various people have built on top of that and various people have built on top of that. And so things have all kinds of different meanings that they were never meant to have. And symbolism has taken on various meanings that it never meant to mean. And like I said on a previous episode, even the Freemasons like Manly P. Hall and Albert Pike talk about these kind of things and how they were irritated that so many things had been taken out of context. And they themselves were drawing conclusions, I'm sure, and taking things out of context. Like I heard Manly P. Hall say the other day in a lecture that the word thought came from the god Thoth, or Thot or however you want to say it. I've heard it said like five different ways. But I looked up the etymology of the word thought, and what do you get? Old English, P-O-H-T, or G-E-P-O-H-T, the process of thinking, a thought, compassion, from stem of P-E-N-C-A-N, to conceive of in the mind, consider, Cognate of the second element in the German gedoctinus, memory, and Dokt attention, devotion, Bedokt consideration, deliberation, and so it doesn't have anything to do with the word thought, which is Greek. It's a Greek transliteration of an Egyptian god, it's Djehuti. It's D J E H U T I. So Thoth or Thot or Hermes is a Greek transliteration of the Egyptian or Kemetic god Dejuti. So I want to play a couple more clips by Jordan Maxwell before we end the show here. And I will mention a few more quotes by Alice Bailey since they go hand in hand with this whole astrotheology and ascended masters and all these things. But uh, I have these two clips saved, one in my YouTube playlist. And one I had saved in my bookmarks for the show, and it was on DailyMotion.com. When I went to go back to retrieve them, view them, and record them, guess what? They were both gone. The YouTube account had been, of course, deleted, and the DailyMotion website was a 404, not found. So it's just kind of wild how things are disappearing so quickly on the internet these days. And I know that I've talked about it before, but you know, seeing the wish list in my Amazon, which I shouldn't be doing any business with Amazon anyway, but you see the wish list disappearing. I had a bunch of books in there, like 50 something books. Well, about 20 are gone and they don't even tell you once they're gone. They just say this item is no longer available. No name, no, we'll get this in at a later date, or it's on back order, or this, that, or the other. It's just gone. So you don't even know which book is no longer available. And we're pushing towards this new era of Amazon being the only place you can get some certain books because they're squeezing out all of the mom-and-pop bookstores. Of course, I'd rather shop with thriftbooks.com or one of these other places anyway. But uh, I just wanted to let you guys know that and be aware of that yourselves. So let's check out these quotes, these clips by Mr. Jordan Maxwell.
0: I think we're being brought into a new world that you are not going to recognize in the next 20 to 50 years. I think this is going to be necessary because the way we're going now, uh, our world is out of control. The violence and the hatred among peoples is going to have to be done away with. We're going to have to do something about the facts of life. And the facts of life is that the other people are on this earth and you didn't put them there. Other people are on this earth because the God who created life has allowed all of us to be here and somewhere along the line there's going to be order on this planet. And I believe that there are certain individuals are ordained to make sure that happens. So I don't have any problem with power. I have problems with people who misuse power. But those people who have the power to do something for the good of mankind, I am sure that they are working around the clock, taking care of their business. And it's a time in which That the powers of the universe are going to enlighten mankind whether they're ready or not and unfortunately i don't think there are too many people in the world who are ready for the very near future that's coming i believe it is an article of my faith that for whatever you might wish to call these entities the bible refers to them as sons of god uh sons of god incidentally are not angels you need to understand there's different words and the reason why there are different words in the bible because they mean different things there's a world of difference between an angel and the sons of god and the watchers these words are not there to fill out pages they're telling me something angels are one thing sons of god are able we're told to uh, materialize in human form and cobort with women and get them pregnant, it shows their plumbing worked, and consequently, if they're able to have offspring through women, I, can, um, I cannot imagine a woman being talked into bed by some hideous creature from another world, but I can believe she might be talked into bed by a very handsome, good-looking man. Who is not human he just looks human and you better go back and do your homework this guy walks through walls consequently i believe as an article of my faith that there are individuals on the earth today who are for a lack of a better term divinely ordained in their position of power and i don't know if that makes me happy or not but i'm smart enough to accept it and realize that i guess for a lack of a better way of saying it someone has to run the world and if they are here and they have come here from another place and another time um, they have extraordinary wisdom power and knowledge and um, consequently i don't see them if this be true this is just an article of my belief but if this be true that there are entities here who are not completely human, but who are a combination of the divine and human, then um, I see no problem with this. I accept that there are powers over us. And um, I think that they uh, will reward you for your diligence and your intelligence. If you intend to be stupid, then let them. Well, there we go. You heard it for yourselves.
1: You see that he is spreading this theosophical belief system in these ascended masters, but he's taking it even a step farther and going ahead and admitting that he believes the fallen angels, the watcher angels, the offspring of the Nephilim that Gary Wayne talks about, are probably the future leaders, or they're in control. And so if you read Alice Bailey and even Annie Besant, and the like, you're going to find out that they believe that these ascended masters, watchers, fallen angels are in charge of governments already and have been controlling governments and influencing governments for decades. And my reply to that is look at what they've done. All these decades. So they try and say through the UN and these various organizations like the CFR that they want to create world peace, but they have created chaos for years and years and years and anyone can see that. So Jordan Maxwell is saying that yeah these fallen angels rule the world and they're coming to force enlightenment, force enlightenment. And that's like forcing equality. There's only one way to do that. So he says we must obey. I have no problem obeying these fallen angels. So again, I would say, look to Gary Wayne's research on this. He's the best at looking into these watcher angels, fallen angels, Nephilim, offspring, bloodlines, because more and more of these people reveal that they do believe in the Bible. They do believe in parts of the Bible. You know, Maxwell really is bad about contradicting himself. One minute he's saying that, oh, these are just allegories. The Bible's just this astro-theological allegory. And then the next he's saying, no, the Bible tells you about these fallen angels, these watcher angels, these sons of God. And so... You know, he picks and chooses whatever he wants to believe, but he couldn't do it if he didn't have the biblical texts. And so, I think that's interesting that Maxwell is pretty much just teaching theosophical beliefs, even though he's tried to deny it. And um, that's pretty much where we are. And these fallen angels, trust me, do not have mankind's best interests in mind so why do I think that a lot of these teachings are dangerous? I'll go over it one more time, just so some of you guys that may have missed it will catch it. Well, you get this view when you read books like the Kabilian and other occult teachings that reality doesn't really exist, and reality is just just a construct. And so there are no absolutes, and... Good and evil, they're even, they even out each other, they it's the reconciliation of the opposites or whatever. And oh yeah, by the way, since reality doesn't exist, you know what else? You, you don't have to worry so much about getting it right in this life because you're going to be reincarnated as many times as it takes until you reach apotheosis or perfection. In fact, every person... In humanity is going to be reincarnated until they become perfect and so we'll have a perfect world that's the kind of things they teach so really why should you care about this life you know do some DMT and and do some acid and just you know trip out and so what does it even matter man and and that's the kind of world I came out of in in the band days but it started way back before the band days you know it was popular in the 60s and I think I mentioned somewhere that Daniel Estelin talks about that in the uh, Tavistock book, about how the CIA came up with this whole whole idea, the Aquarian conspiracy and this New Age idea, and they came up with acid. So I think we better be careful what we're allowing ourselves to believe in this New Age because it is a deception big time, and. As I've been trying to tell people, the Great Reset is as much of a new age concept as it is this uh, restructuring of economic powers, this consolidation of economic powers, because the elites also revere this pantheon of gods and this new age kind of symbology and belief system. And who knows? They're probably controlled by the offspring of these fallen angels. Bloodlines are a huge, huge thing. And again, I'll tell you, go back to the teachings of Gary Wayne. So anyway, I will end the show here with a few Alice Bailey quotes. And this is from her book, Education in the New Age, which I've been trying to get through. These books are brutal. They're really, really boring and so repetitive. They say the same things over and over and over in different ways. but. It says here, In the destruction of the old world order and in the chaos of these modern goings forward, the task of reconstruction leading to a complete reorganization of human living and to a fresh fresh reorientation of human thinking is taking place. A few paragraphs over, she says, The first rate of will or power, the rate of the divine destroyer, is already actively working, destroying the old and outworn conditions and bringing about the wreckage of the old civilization so that the new order can be effectively brought into expression. The work of bringing order out of chaos. Of course, we know that, quote, all too well. They're trying to bring the Great Reset. They're trying to build back better because you have to destroy to rebuild to build back better. They're destroying the alchemical process of destroying everything so they can rebuild their New World Order out of chaos. Cracking the egg. There's a famous quote by Brock Chisholm who said, To achieve world government, it is necessary to remove from the minds of men their individualism, loyalty to family traditions, national patriotism and religious dogmas. That's a form of destruction, that's a form of the alchemical process of destroying to build back better. And we've just we've seen all that stuff happen in the last, you know, 30 40 years, but really the last four or five years it's really ramped up and so there is a war on men, there's a war on the family, there's a war on anything the least bit traditional. And yeah, things went too far the old way, but now they're going way too far the other way. And that's what humans do. And so what are they pushing us towards? But with that, my friends, I want to leave you with one more quote. And then we'll end this thing. Another Alice Bailey quote from Externalization of the Hierarchy. And she talks about the hierarchy in most of her books. And she does... Say, in some of those books, she tries to differentiate between a tyrannical hierarchy and this so-called hierarchy of equality and love. She says here, The New World Order must be appropriate to a world which has passed through a destructive crisis and to a humanity which is boldly shattered by the experience The New World Order must lay the foundation for a future world order, which will be possible only after a time of recovery, of reconstruction, and rebuilding. Build back better. With that, friends, I want to thank you so much for listening once again. Thank you to all my patrons who have donated to the show and helped me out. Thank you for everyone who has shared the show. And please continue to do that. It helps out a lot. Uh, please leave me a good review if you feel led to. And I can't wait to talk to you again. I've got lots of fun stuff planned. I'm going to be doing some more historical stuff soon. Uh, stuff about Mesopotamia and Egypt, Egyptian history, and things like that. I'm kind of going back to the real historical books because I really started this journey looking more into the conspiratorial world and there's some great authors in there but I think now I'm getting older going back through some of these conspiracies and realizing that there's a lot of you know false teachings errors some purposely some not that I think we need to compare both We need to compare the real history and the conspiratorial history, the alternative history, and see what we come up with. And nobody's going to do that. Hardly anyone is going to take the time to do that. But I'd rather take the time to do that and do less shows and give you something special as to keep trotting out the same old things that other people trot out, the same old kind of shows. So that's my goal for the rest of this year. So you can reach me at underscore the odd man out on Instagram and Twitter. I am on Facebook and Gab and I have a bit shoot as well. So if you want to check out some of the videos to some of the episodes, I'm putting those up on there and I do that on my Patreon a week earlier. So I put the videos on there or the audio or sometimes both. So anyway, if you want to check me out on my Patreon, it is patreon.com forward slash the odd man out. Hope you're having a great week. And I look forward to talking to you again. Cheers and blessings, guys. And remember, their order is not our order. See ya.